Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Today's sermon starts with the evening news. It is an unexpected sight as you cruise the waters of Lake Whitney. It's just ridiculous putting it that close to the water. A nearly million dollar home dangling off a cliff. And that's what we kept looking and looking and looking to see if anything was going to happen right then. Neighbors Connie Ash and Jackie McNamara have been glued to their binoculars since Tuesday when they first heard and then saw the land beneath this home give way. This morning, they discovered the back porch had collapsed into the lake. From the water, you can now see straight into the house. What else is it going to do except fall in? That's the question now, when or even if the rest of the home will collapse. Experts aren't sure what is causing the land to crack. We may not see another movement for you know, several months. You know, you know, who knows where it could... Uh... You know, these rains coming in could soften the ground below it and it could go away sooner than that. Documents show a husband and wife have owned this home since 2012. It was built in 2008. Authorities say the couple became aware of a crack in the cliff earlier this year and had moved out all their belongings as a precaution. Well, they're currently out of town watching this all play out from afar. I have never seen anything like this. Not in Texas. We were allowed into the gated community of White Bluff this afternoon and saw security guarding the home from the front. But from the back, an entirely different picture of a home vulnerable, unprotected, collapsing piece by piece. It is. Last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series together where we're exploring every victory that Jesus Christ purchased on his cross and that he purchased by raising himself to new life on Easter morning and then giving those victories as a free gift to his church. Today, the type of victory that we're gonna be exploring is victory over the storm. If you've got a background in church, you know that Jesus said something about a house built on a solid foundation, not built on sand next to a lake next to a lake uh, doesn't work. So rambunctious volunteers are going to hand out Bibles right now. Throw a hand up if you need a copy of God's Word, and we're going to get those to you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, this Bible is our gift to you. Go ahead and take it home, page 805. Everybody else, get over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. words of Jesus. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse 
with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. God, please teach us today from your word. Help us to hear and to receive, to repent, God, where you show us sin, and to do so with joy. Because every word that you speak to your children is for our blessing, for our good, and for our building up. Even when it's rebuke, it's for our good. And we celebrate that today. So Lord, teach us. Make us different today, walking out, than the way that we walked in. For your glory, for the good of our city, and for our joy. God's people said. Amen. Amen. So if we're going to take a look at this text, it might be good to first start with this storm that Pastor Greg is going to claim we have victory over. What are the types of storms that can reveal my bad foundation? With that, it was they didn't know. There's a crack in the ground. I feel bad. These are million-dollar mansions. Could you imagine if you're two houses down and you're freaking out and trying to sell? No one is going to buy, right? Somebody might take a gamble and say, I'll pay you $100,000 because it's a 10 to 1 lottery ticket, right? I feel bad. That's one type of storm. If you're out on, uh, you know, in Florida on the coast, well, everybody knows, okay, this is hurricane territory. In your life, what are the th- types of things that could happen or that have happened where you thought you were okay? You thought that your life was built on Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. Maybe if you're not a Christian, you thought that everything was okay. You thought you knew what your life was built on, what it was built around. You thought you knew what your core foundations were until a storm came and exposed that foundation. Now I'm seeing that foundation with my own eyes. Do you know the house is gone, right? If you can see the foundation really well, the house is gone. Okay. Spend a few minutes. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Talk with your friend next to you. And I want you to come up with at least five answers. What are things in life that can happen that can show me what my real foundations are? What are my real core convictions? Who or what do I live my life based on? Go ahead and talk with each other.
All right. Share with the room what are some events that can happen in your life or have happened in your life that exposed what was down at your core? Divorce. Divorce. That's a good one. Loss of a loved one. I heard something. Your house burning down. Unemployment. Financial disaster. I, I heard four at once. What happened? Illness. Loss of a loved one. Yep. Having a child. Yeah? Yeah. Unexpectedly having a child. Losing a child. Huh? A rebellious child. Broken relationship with a child. Raise your rent. <laughs> Anything with the child. <laughs> hmm. COVID could expose. COVID could expose things. Injury. As I was trying to, um, no pun intended, brainstorm this question, here are a few that I thought through. My husband said he wants a divorce. My kids won't talk to me. I'm eating for comfort, and it shows. I'm not sure what my reason for living is. My spouse discovers that I've accrued $50,000 of debt from my gambling habit. I was fired from my dream job. The doctor said to me, we've done all we can do. And, and here's another one that's implicit in the text. It's not going to be on our radars immediately. I died happy and old, surrounded by people I loved. I walked up to Jesus, but he didn't look very familiar. He had a sad look on his face and said, go away, I never knew you. The context of this section of the Sermon on the Mount is whether or not people are true disciples. And I'm concerned as I read the text, and as I looked at a couple of commentaries, I'm concerned doing ministry in an industrialized first world country with all the toys, with all that glitters. My, my concern is some of us get to live a relatively comfortable life, die old and happy and wealthy, at least if the world's grading on a curve, and we think everything's fine. I think it's in 1 Corinthians where Paul says that the judgment in reaching the end of your life and then standing before Christ, um, a fire comes through and wood, stubble, and straw aren't going to make it. Gold and silver and precious gems will last. There is a refining, purifying fire that is not the uh, wrath of God on you. It is a testing fire to see, did you build something that will last? Did you build something that matters to your Savior? Your first blank. My bad foundation can be exposed leading to disaster. That's, that's one option. Or I can take a close look at the foundation before the storm comes. Right? 
Why is Jesus saying this except to bring us into some introspection? He's saying this out loud. Hey, consider your foundation now. Consider it now. Which, of course, leads us to the practical question. What does it look like? Okay, Jesus says, you're wise if you listen to my teaching and obey them and actually do it. Don't sit in church, go be transformed the other six and a half days a week. Live a transformed life that confuses people. That's more love than I understand. That's more grace than I understand. I've never seen that much generosity. How is there so little? That person has political opinions, but they don't hate the other side. Wow. A transformed life. What is, what is that? What is it going to look like to have a life built on Jesus' teaching? For Christmas, my wife got me an Ancestry DNA test kit. And before you think she's a nerd, I requested it. I'm the nerd. I got the results back, and much to my surprise, I'm not German like my parents have told me my entire life. I'm English. 48% English, only 12% German. English? Does this mean I get a sword? Oh, man. Do I at least get a coat of arms? I mean, something. A family member on Emily's side, uh, they bought a house in Santa Cruz a few years ago, invited everybody over for Thanksgiving, and we went over, and on the wall, they had a family crest, a family coat of arms. And I thought that was so cool, and I looked at it. I didn't know anything about it. And he said, you know, this is something that if you don't have a direct lineage all the way back to the 12th century, you're not going to necessarily have a coat of arms. And these are mostly French and British. There's some in uh, Belgium and Netherlands and Germany, but it's mostly a French and British thing. He said, but you can make up whatever you want and decide, not, not claiming that you've got an 800-year genealogical tie, but say, for our family, this is what's important to us. So I started Googling it when I found out I was English. I'm like, hey, this is cool. And I found out the coat of arms was actually quite simple. As soon as technology came where we put helmets on before we stabbed each other in the name of chivalry, um, right? There's no, nothing more chivalrous than poking each other with sticks. Uh, you couldn't see your opponent's face, and you couldn't see your friend's face either. And so they would put on their shields, they would paint their shields the same based on family or clan. So based on the shield the person was holding, you know whether or not to poke them with a stick. Right? You don't want to kill the wrong guy. Mama, I just killed a man, right? So, uh, as the great prophets of our culture, Queen, told us, you have to quote a British rock band if you're talking about English history, right? So, so the coat of arms grew to be more and more elaborate as time went on, and it'd be divided into multiple fields sometimes because they wanted to put multiple images representing multiple core values of these are the things that are important in our family, and so as technology evolved again, and they were, you were less and less likely to be holding a shield with somewhat elaborate, these were shields that were usually placed above a mantle place, a, a highly visible place in the home that would show up 
uh, as your seal on a signet ring or on a letterhead to represent the family and what they value, what they've built their life on. As I was searching around the interwebs, I found this. I have no idea who Dr. Arthur Stewart is. But the family motto, if you haven't brushed up on your Latin, is for the glory of God alone. One of the solas of the Reformation 500 years ago. The entire family's motto, if there's one thing, everything we think, everything we do, we spend money on, where we invest our time, for the glory of God alone is the motto that he chose. And what I love, if you look at these four quadrants in the shield, there are crosses everywhere, obvious symbols of Christianity, uh, at least two Bibles that I'm seeing. Um, there are scripture verses in banners over each of the four quadrants. Guys, this is a critical image of what it is to build your life on the teachings of Jesus. You see, what the world would like for you to do if you're a Christian, what the world would like for me to do, the world is fine if you like that whole Jesus thing. You put that in your religion quadrant. What's good for you is good for you. That's fine, and I'm fine with you being a Christian. That's fine. Until and unless you're gonna say something that infringes on what I've chosen to believe. So your gospel being exclusive, Jesus being the only way to heaven, that's so rude, that's so offensive. No, keep your religion and your religious beliefs in, your, in this little corner. But Dr. Arthur Stewart disagrees. See, scripture has infected every part of how he views life. These different quadrants oftentimes are symbols of, well, here's, here's my career, here's my vocation, and Jesus gets to tell me how to do that. Here's where our family, or the value of family, and Jesus gets to tell me how to do family. Here's our value of marriage, and Jesus gets to tell me how to do marriage. Here's uh, money and success, and Jesus gets to tell us how we do money and success. Scripture has saturated every part of how this guy is trying to build his life. And we are very tempted to give God this little section. God gets a section, and how do I know God gets it? That's where I'm listening to his word. I will actually listen to God in this area of life, but in other areas, I don't, for whatever the reason might be. Usually, because I know in my instinct, I know in my conscience what God is probably going to say. Right? But Jesus says, foolish is the man who does not build his life on my teachings. That's like a guy who builds his house. Not checking the foundation first. And then a storm comes, and we're supposed to be surprised. It all fell apart. Now, let, let's, let's not skip past those last two verses, verses 28 and 29. If you think that that's an exclusive claim, if you think it sounds just a tiny bit arrogant of Jesus, build your whole existence on what I say, anything else is foolish. Right? Was that tolerant? Say no. Let's try it again. Say no. You already knew it was intolerant, okay? Jesus is not 
saying I get equal voice with Oprah. He's not saying I get equal voice with Deepak Chopra. He's not saying I get equal voice. No. No. He is saying, All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. That's cute in church when you stop and look at it through the eyes of the world going, that is really closed-minded. It is. But you know what? When Gabriel tries to run out into the street and I grab his arm, I'm pretty closed-minded too. A loving father is incredibly closed-minded about the things that kill his kids. In the middle of our arrogant arguments, maybe we should stop and just go, maybe he sees more than we see. Maybe he's wiser than us. Or the really mind-bending but critical truth that I keep telling you guys, he loves you more than you love you. And if you can't fathom that, I'm just going to ask you to do what Jesus has asked you to do. Look at the parent-child relationship. You can be loved far more than your brain has the capacity to understand. Jesus says, build your life, not just listening, but actually doing. Build your life on my teachings. That's wise. That's wise. And he said flat out, your house will be victorious against the storm if you build your life on my teachings. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. And no, this is not prosperity gospel. This is not, I get to just speak to the cancer in my body and for sure it obeys me the way that it would Jesus. Maybe God miraculously will heal the cancer. He absolutely has the power. But I, do I get to decide that? Hmm? If, if, if a disease takes my life, was my life a disaster? If you're a part of this church family, you know we have said goodbye over the last 13, 14 months to some unbelievably godly people. Not a one of them lived a life that was a disaster. Dying physically doesn't mean you did something wrong. It means that you're a part of the rest of humanity, that all of us rebelled in Genesis 3. We brought death into this world. Don't worry, he's going to roll back death itself one day. Physical death is the least of our worries when we think of the condemnation that sin brings. Jesus says, build your life on my teachings. The storm is going to come. There's no if about storms, right? There's no if. It's just when. And how much does it hurt? How humbling is it? Think of this image. It's not my craftsmanship. It's not the uh, overpriced lumber that I used. It's not my friend who came along to help. I experience the victory against the storm based on one thing, according to this. I looked for where Jesus was. I looked for his teachings. I looked for what does he say about it. And I went over there. And until I found where the solid rock of Christ's teaching, until I found that spot, 
my hands were empty. I'm not going to reach for my hammer and nails to start building stuff until I have talked to him first. And so I'll just say this as a kid who grew up in church. This is one reason why kids that are like in church-ish, around church to know a little bit of Christian morality but haven't decided if they can really follow Jesus yet, um, there's a temptation like, I'm going to go have lots of sex and I'll read my Bible later because I'm not totally sure 100% what the Bible says about that. Right? We do it with anything. Let's confession time. Confession time. Who here has ever managed money, maybe for years, who's managed money without specifically opening God's word and sitting down slowly to go, how should I be doing this? Anybody ever done that? My hand's up. My hand's up. Anybody here want to testify? You tried your hand at marriage without necessarily specifically diving in and asking God, how does it, right? Okay, listen, we've all done it. Our hands are up. If I ask seven more questions, your hand's going to go up for some of them, okay? We've all done it. The point is not to despair at your failure, and it's definitely not to pat yourself on the back like you're perfect. The point is to go, if I love Jesus Christ, I'm going to choose obedience today, right? We're going to move forward. My, my father is far more gracious with my past sins than I am. I'll, I'll judge myself way more than Jesus. How much has Jesus judged your sin, folks? He took it to a cross, and he killed it. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel because the cell phones were trying to interrupt last time, so we're just going to keep doing this. Somebody who's willing to let God's word soak into every corner of their life, this is a person who trusts that solid rock. Right? Can we just own that? There's no way on earth you would do this unless you believed Jesus is who he is, who said he is, right? If he's just a nice moral teacher, I'm not letting him infect and affect everything. Why would you do that? That makes no sense. He was the God man, or he wasn't. Those are the two options. He raised himself from death, or he didn't. Those are the only two options. It was true, the testimony of his resurrection, or it was a lie. Those are the two options. I wouldn't build my whole life on Jesus if I thought it was a lie. Wishful thinking from really devoted followers who thought he was a really nice guy. Wishful thinking is nice. Good philosophy is nice. But don't ask me to build my entire existence around it. No way. No way. Here's your blank. God's word is your foundation when his opinion is the first question in your mind. The very first. And his opinion is the greatest motivator of your heart. Christians, when you've got a decision to make, when you've got something you need to build, what's the very first question in your mind? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Those of you familiar with 1 Samuel chapter 1. The reason I keep telling you guys that CNN and Fox News are not on two sides, they're on the same side, well, first of all, it's because it's true. But here's another example. News channels inerrantly tell me that my own opinion is basically ultimate and, and on par with everybody else's and we're all equal and it never, ever, ever, ever talks about Jesus' opinion. It's not a part of the discussion because I cannot give you a false sense of control by reminding you that Jesus is the one whose opinion matters. The only way that you sleep well at night with Christ as Lord over all, the only way you're gonna sleep well at night with him being in charge is that you love and trust him. Right? Um, studying uh, history of imperialist Russia the last 16 weeks, because I have lots of free time. And it's, it's fascinating, something that doesn't change no matter which country you're studying. When there's a coup, when there's a, a dramatic, violent overthrow of the government, um, you can't ask a blanket question like, were the people happy about the coup? Well, it depends. If the guy in, who's now in charge is a buddy of yours, things are going well, aren't they? But if the last guy who's, you know, he might be at a gallows or something or running for his life, uh, if he was your friend, this coup is a terrible thing, right? Okay? And we see that in the book of Revelation. When Jesus finally embodies all authority, are all, is the whole world happy about it? No, not at all. Is the church happy about it? Right? You gotta decide. Uh, if my foundation is built on this rock, I am trusting this rock with every part of my home, my family, my existence, my legacy. We are not going to build our lives on Jesus unless we are convinced he is Messiah. It would be illogical. It would be very illogical to do so. So that's my call to you today. Your next step, if you're exploring faith, take a serious look at the claims of Jesus. Take a serious look and decide. You gotta figure this out. Figure this out. Because the text, actually much of what's in the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't make sense to obey a lot of the teachings of Jesus if he's not Messiah. You gotta decide. So these texts that seem to resonate more with Christians, there's a reason for that. The Christians have decided that he's the savior of the world and we can approach with trust the things that he's telling us. If you already love Jesus, Look at the blueprint before you reach for a hammer. Please, Christians, look at the blueprint before you reach for a hammer. We've all done it in numerous ways. Testimony time, you know what I did without reading the blueprint? You know what I did? Led to the biggest disasters of my life. I left the house and I went away to college without knowing what the value and purpose of the local church was. 
If you still think that Christianity can be lived out as an individual religion, try being 18 years old, moving a few hours away from home. You'd no longer have the support, encouragement of brothers and sisters who love Jesus deeply and love you. And just see how high the sin tally count can go in a few semesters. Just see how high it can go. And by the way, I'm not talking about a kid that did not love Christ and was just showing his true colors. I'm talking about a guy who was filled with the Holy Spirit and hated every moment of his rebellion. All because I would not, I mean, goodness gracious, guys, Ephesians tells us what the church is. Three chapters on Jesus, three chapters on his church. It was right there. But I didn't own it. I didn't embrace it. We've all done it. Many of us are doing it right now, Christians. Look at that blueprint. That blueprint says clear as day, there's Jesus teaching as the foundation. Don't build the house somewhere else. What would happen if you were a contractor, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a house, and you went to the wrong field and built the right house? Legal issues much? The person who owns the land there might go, uh, sure, thanks. (laughs) I'm not paying you. (laughs) And and is the person who contracted them, are are they going to pay for that? No, you got a huge problem. Um, You know, all of life is really the same thing as real estate. Location, location, location. Is my life being built on the teachings of the one who defeated death, who defeated Satan, his enemy, who defeated my sin. I'm with that guy. I'm hanging with him. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging with him. I'm gonna pray, because we need to do that. Jesus, none of us were born yesterday and we know that storms come. Some of us are in the middle of a storm right now. Some of us are in chronic storms that have been going on for 30 years. And selfishly, Lord, do do we want the house to collapse in a mighty crash? No. No. No, we don't want that. But we know that every effort of the saints uh, is for your glory. We know that it is to bless and show your beauty to a lost world. So Jesus, those of us who are Christians, we we know that there's a lot uh, riding on our ability to joyfully obey you because we joyfully listened to you. God, it is your word that uh, created the cosmos out of nothing. And we ask you to create and recreate inside us today. Your word first. And then we start swinging a hammer. God, please help us. Oh, we we all think so highly of our own opinions, Lord. And we ask your forgiveness for that. We all think we're so wise. We all think we're so smart. All of us do. 
God, for those of us that are exploring faith, I ask that you'd give the gift of faith. I ask that you'd make the Christians in the room loving and gracious toward friends that don't believe. Yes, there is this dividing line of believing and not believing, but in all other ways, God, Lord, make us good friends. Make us kind to one another, non-judgmental. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for our church family that teaches us that word and encourages us in it. Thank you for Bible study leaders, kids adventure teachers, disciple group facilitators. Oh God, make us a people of the word. God, make us a people of the word. So that we, not just as individuals, but as a family will one day hear your words, well done, good and faithful servants. Lord, give us the courage to listen to your voice this week and the courage to obey it. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. Miss Cindy is here. Excellent. So please give your full attention. We've got one and a half announcements today. Green? Should we do the green one? Miss Cindy's going to share with you, and I'm going to share one small thing after that. Good morning, church. As we are preparing and praying over Bible Day Camp, which is coming up soon, um, I trust that you're all praying and seeing how you can get involved. But I wanted to share a quick testimony that I heard in the week um, from some families who don't go to church, um, but who have come to Bible Day Camp in the past. So um, track with me here. There's family A and family B, and they're close friends, and I know them from our preschool. So um, I've known them for several years, and I've actually invited family A several times to join us on a Sunday morning, but they've always had other uh, different priorities. So, But family A has sent their kids um, two years in a row to Bible Day Camp. Now, this was two years ago because last year, as you know, it got canceled. But um, family B, as I said, are close friends with family A. And I've invited their child um, two years ago to Bible Day Camp but they weren't really interested, and that's fine. Um, I invited them again this year for Bible Day Camp, and they said, okay, we'll see, you know, we'll look at our calendar, maybe, maybe. And so I figured they, they weren't interested again, Family B. Well, the children from Family A and Family B were having a play date, and the kids from Family A, who still don't go to church, but who have been to Bible Day Camp, were playing church. And I guess this family haven't been to church since Bible Day Camp two years ago, but the kids were playing church. And they were like, this is how you do church. And they were singing the songs they learned at Bible Day Camp two years ago. And they were teaching this other boy from Family B. He says, what's church? I don't know what church is. He's never been. And so they said, oh, this is how you play church. And they taught him the songs from Bible Day Camp two years ago. And, um, these are um, four- and seven-year-olds, just so you know. They're little. And um, so he said, well, I want to go to church. I want to know what church is. So he tells his mom, 
I want to go to Bible day camp with family A because I want to know what church is. And so I just wanted to tell you that pray for families. You never know who's come, who needs to be here. I thought it was a beautiful thing when I heard that story from the mom of, of child B, family B. She said, well, I guess we signed up for your Bible day camp because now he needs to know what church is, and I guess he didn't learn it from us. So she said he's all signed up and ready to go to Bible day camp because he wants to know what church is. And um, so... I just thought that was a really cool testimony about how kids are testifying to kids through this ministry that we provide, that we love. And, you know, just pray for those families that they can, you know, join us in our flock and we can just love on them and show them what church is. So thank you. And again, if you want to sign up to help out, even if you can't physically be here, there are ways to participate. Our teachers don't need to do setup and cleanup and teach all day long and go buy supplies and, and, and. There are ways that people who can't physically be here during the day can help out. So um, if you're not signed up already, go see Miss Sherry, Miss Summer in the back, and they would be happy to get you slotted in somewhere. Um, and at the very least, each one of us needs to be praying for those families who are signed up, who are thinking, who are maybe on the fence about signing up. Our kiddos experience Jesus in that week in a way that is so special for them. So um, be inviting your neighbors, be inviting your grandkids and whoever, your coworkers' kids. This is a very special time for our kiddos that we get to provide to our community. So thank you so much. Amen. And the half announcement. The moment you've all been waiting for. Um, a handful of you are super helpful, and I appreciate you, that at the start of a sermon, when I say, hey, let's get some Bibles to folks, you guys are on it. And uh, some others of you are really helpful when it's uh, our time for communion. You guys jump in there. If that's the type of, um, if you're the type of person that just loves helping in little practical ways like that, I put up... It's posted in the back wall. Everybody turn around to your nearest back double door and to the sides, on the outsides of those double doors uh, on the khaki part of the pillar there. Thank you, Vanna. That's great. (laughs) Ding. I'd like an S. Ding, ding, ding. Um, You know what I was watching at 7 o'clock when I was a kid? Okay. Um, 7.30, is that what it was? I have been corrected. I have been corrected. Uh, Those little documents there are a few bullet-pointed lists of things that if you like being up and about, if you like walking around during church without your mother saying you're going to get a whipping when you get home, (laughs) see who was raised in church. (laughs) Um, That that bullet-pointed list is just some ways, some things that need to happen in the room to make our Sunday morning services successful that... People on the stage are not really able to do it because we're doing other things. People in the sound booth are not able to do it because they're doing other things. So if you're remotely interested in that, I'd love it if you would just poke your nose at that list and you go, oh, this is all the stuff Glenn's going to do if I don't help out. Uh, or so, something like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly how, how to word it. But if you like that kind of thing, please take a look at that list because we're trying to uh, get ushers a little bit more organized. Uh, if you know you're going to be here in the room anyway and you like being helpful... Bada bing, bada boom. That's all it is. So, 
Lord Jesus, give us ministry the next six and a half days that makes this hour powerful and meaningful. In your precious name we pray, amen. Let's go.